0: Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. So, um, man, have you ever been in church and you wondered why women wear hats? used to be an old tradition that was very common, not so much anymore. You ever, you ever been in a church and, man, people fought over how long guy's hair should be? <laughs> I mean, this is real stuff, man. I'm telling you, man. If, you, if you've been in church any length of time, you know, I could even tell you this today. There are some people who would get upset that a man would wear a hat in church. I mean, hats and hairs, man, they, 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 I'm telling you, it, it causes a lot of problems in God's church. I have a pastor friend who said they were having a discipline problem in his church. What he meant by that was is that the parents weren't disciplining the, the kids. The parents were letting their children run wild in the service. We're not talking about just babies crying. We're talking about children who were old enough and big enough to sit still in the service. They were just letting them run around, run circles in the auditorium while the preaching and everything was happening. So the leaders got together and they decided the pastor should write a letter and encourage these families. So they they said in the letter that he said, worship is family time, so please sit together as a family and remain seated as a family. (laughs) Well, the parents didn't like that letter, he tells me. And he says they didn't like him for writing it. And so one father wanted to meet with the pastor. And so he stepped into the pastor's office and he had the letter that the pastor had written. And it was all wrinkly and worn so he could tell that the guy had been over it and over it and over it. And so he told the pastor, he said this. He said, listen, pastor, worship is not family time. Worship is personal time. Well, My pastor friend said he stepped back from that meeting with him, and here's what he discovered. He says that worship is is not family time, and it's really not personal time, that they both were wrong. You see, here's what he said, and here's what I believe. Worship is not just about me and you and the Lord. Worship is about you and me and the Lord and all of us coming together around the throne to worship God. Here's why I tell you that, because worship is not family time and worship is not personal time. Worship is church time. (laughs) It's when we all, the body comes together. And so here's why I tell you this, because then it would be imperative upon us that if worship is for all of us, then what we all do and how we treat one another is going to be greatly important because if it's for all of us, it matters to all of us what happens in here. You're saying, well, what has that got to do with hats, hair, and hearts? Well, this morning, God's going to really speak into what we really should be doing in here in this room as a body and some of the things that can distract us from really worshiping God. So He's going to give us a couple of principles about how we can honor God in worship and also at the same time honor each other. So out of our tradition here, I wonder if you would stand with me as I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 through 16. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, I want you to know that there's some Bibles in the seats, under the seats around you. If you would love to take that, um, you'll find that the page number for that where we're at today is on page 1032. And so you can certainly look in there and keep up with us, and you can take that Bible home with you as our gift to you today. I encourage our people to bring a hard copy of God's Bible with them, not that I'm opposed to your phone. There's just something that happens when we get into the written, just physical Word of God that your brain says, I'm in a different place, that I need something different. We're trying to get away from things to do things different here. So The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 2, it says, Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Then listen to what Paul says, hear his heart, but but I want you to understand, he's got something on his heart. I need you to understand something. What is it, Paul? That Christ is the head of every man, that the man is head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. So every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. For she is one and the same as a woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off her head or her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed man was not created for woman's sake but the woman for the man's sake. Therefore the man ought to have a symbol of authority on the uh, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. However in the Lord neither is woman independent of man nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man so also the man has his birth through the woman and all things originate from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is glory to her. For her hair is given to her for a covering. But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice nor have the churches of God. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, since this is all so clear, <laughs> this doesn't they require any explanation at all. I think everybody understands what's going on here. So, I, I mean, Jeremy, come on up, bro. I mean, no, right? <laughs> what are you talking about? I want to tell y'all that we say this about several texts in the Bible, but, but I mean this when I say that this is one of the most difficult texts in all of Scripture. There's lots of reasons for that. Is this portion of God's Word really God's Word? Yes. Uh, is this authoritative for us today? Yes. Yes. Does this have meaning for us today? Help me, Pastor. Well, that's what I'm going to try to do. You see, this text is one in which we really can understand there's cultural differences between what was going on in, in Corinth and what's happening here in the Grange. We see that there's situational differences. There's some situation that was happening with, with women and hair and men and hair going on in the church, we don't really understand that. We just kind of get the other side of a phone call that we don't know what the other person is saying. There's also the historical difference, right? We, we clearly know that this happened at a different time in history. But here's my admonition to you today. There is absolutely no spiritual difference happening at all. Paul wants to really help us today, and so he wants to help us understand how to really honor God in worship, and there's just three things that that, that jump out of this text, and I want you to pray for me as I preach today, because, man, if you want to talk about a hard text to try to whittle down to make it where all of us can really understand, this has been a doozy. Um, Man, I have studied my brains out for this one, and I'm hoping it makes sense to you when we're done. (laughs) It makes sense to me, but I'm not so sure I can put it in a way to make it make sense to you. So pray for me, would you help me, Kenneth, while I'm preaching today? Amen. Um, First thing is this, man. We honor God in worship by maintaining the necessary direction that he has founded. We honor God in worship by maintaining the necessary direction he has founded. Look there in verse 2. He begins there and Paul says these words. He says, Hey, listen, guys, I praise you because you remember me and everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Paul is telling, Hey, guys, you're doing well with some of the things that I've taught you. He uses the word traditions there. That is the teachings of Scripture that he had learned from others and now he's passed it along to them. These aren't the traditions of men, which gets into part of the problem the teachings, the the traditions that he has gotten because he's an apostle and God has given him the traditions that are found in the scripture. You're doing great in some of these, and and I I, want to applaud you for that. But then in verse 3, he begins to say, but there's something else I think you're missing. And I really want you to understand something. Because if you don't understand this, what you're doing in worship is not going to be pleasing to the Lord. So verse three, he says this, he says, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and that the man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. Now that word head is repeated eight times in these verses. You you probably didn't catch that. It's not for you to catch. Sometimes though, what you've got to understand is, is that Paul uses, this is the confusing part. Paul uses the word head in a literal fashion, meaning this noggin on top of your shoulders. This literal, physical head. Sometimes, and even in the same verse, he switches between literal head and figurative head, meaning something of leadership, the source, or authority, or direction for something. Our head gives direction to the rest of our body. Our head is the leader of the rest of our body. Our head tells our body what to do. That's what he would mean by that. So Paul says that the head, the leader, the authority, the one who sets direction for all mankind is Jesus Christ. For the head of all men, man, Jesus says, uh, the Bible says, is Jesus. But then he says that that leadership exists in the home and also exists in the church. Well, what is that? He says that man is the head, the, the leader, the authority, the one who sets the spiritual direction in the home and leads the wife, that is the man, that is the head. So a woman in the home and a woman in the church has for her leader the direction, the men. Especially if it's her husband, it's that man. Now, Paul, quickly, I need you to hear me. Hear me, please hear me well. Paul is not saying, that men and women are not equal before God. He is not saying in any shape, form, or fashion that women are inferior to men or that that men are superior to women. Paul has already written in Galatians 3.28, he said this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. So when I come to Jesus, whether I'm male or female, we're all equally saved and all can equally go before God. There's equality, equality between men and women, husbands and wives. We're all equal before God, but there is a functional submission in the marriage and in the church where the husband and men lead their wives and the women are to follow the direction of their husbands and the direction of the church. Ephesians 5.23, Paul has written this elsewhere. For the husband is the head of the wife and Christ also is the head of the church He himself being the savior of the body. So the head of every man, the the leader, the director of all men is Christ. The leader of wives are their husbands. Then Paul says that the head, the leader of Christ is God. This is so important to understand. It must be critically clear that God the son and God the father are co-equal and co-eternal, but yet Jesus willingly submitted To the Father. So if this was putting women down in any way, then it would also have to put Christ down. Because if Christ submitted and that's something inferior, then Christ would have to be inferior. But that's not what he says. Because Jesus said in John 10:30, I and the Father are one. Jesus is God. They're they're co-equal, co-eternal. But then in John 8:29, Jesus says, He who sent me is with me and he's not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus always submitted himself to the leadership and direction of his father. So Jesus says that he always does what's pleasing to the Father. Men and women are equal, but God has called for men to lead their wives and lead the church, and he's called for women to submit to that authority and that leadership and that direction in the church. Again, has nothing to do with superiority. Christ was not inferior, but yet he still submitted to the Father. Verse four and five. So every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. Now, Paul tells us that theology, the way that, that leadership and headship works, that theology now practices and gets put out in play into the worship in church. So he says, any man who is in worship, if he covers his head, his literal head, this is where he changes His literal noggin, he's in worship and covers his literal head while praying or making a prophecy dishonors his head. What head does he dishonor? This head or the figurative head? Paul switches back and talks about the figurative head, meaning Jesus, his Lord. So then let me ask you this. Does that mean that we shouldn't wear hats in church if we're a man, or should we all be bald? Because hair is obviously a covering here. So you've got to do it both ways. You can't, just, you can't just do the one thing and say, well, hats shouldn't be worn in church. Because if Paul's saying it's about a covering and hair is a covering, we all have to be bald too, right? That's where legalists get into all kinds of problems. Here's what I'm telling you. This ain't, a, this ain't about a stinking hat. This ain't about a piece of cloth over somebody's head. This ain't about a a covering over a man's head. That's not what he's talking about. That's not the issue. Because in Corinth and in Greek society, in the pagan temples that are around, he's been talking about idol worship, idol worship, idol worship, Meat offered to idols. He continues to bring that up. In the context, he's speaking about idolatry. And he brings it in here and he says, listen, you know that in all the temples around you, that in those pagan temples, when a man there is praying or prophesying to his God, he takes his toga and he lifts it up and he puts it over his head and then therefore he prays or prophesies to his God. And when you do that, when you put something on your head like that, you look like a pagan worshiping his God. Don't do that. So it's really about this. Don't look like a pagan when you worship. It's not about the head covering. It's about an attitude of your heart. Paul then says in the same way, if a woman uncovers her literal head, It disgraces her spiritual head, meaning her husband and her Lord. You see, in that day, a woman would cover her head, and she did that to show that she was married and that she followed her husband, and she was really signaling that she is not available to any other man. So notice that they're both men and women praying and prophesying. To pray, in in basic me just breaking it down for you, prayer is basically us speaking to God. We can do that by talking, singing, or even even doing it silently. To prophesy means to speak about God. And we can do that through speech or songs or encouragement, but let's please be very clear that while both men and women were praying to God and speaking about God in the church, let's not take that too far because we have to go through the whole counsel of God's word. Paul is definitely not saying that that women can, can be the pastor of the church. Because he says in 1 Timothy 2.12, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise, here it is, authority to be the head over a man. 1 Timothy 3 1 through 2, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. It'd be really hard to be the husband of one wife if you're not a husband and you're a pastor. So this is definitely not saying that that the prophesying means that that women can stand up here and preach, and and that's not what he's saying, so we have to be careful. So when a a man covers his head or a woman uncovers her head, it dishonors the Lord and it dishonors men and women. Verse 6, Then this, this interesting comes. For if a woman does not cover her head, Let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. The temple prostitutes in that day, and there were so many in Corinth, we've covered this in the history through the preaching of this book, there's thousands of temple prostitutes everywhere. And the way that you would identify a temple prostitute is because they had their head shaved or they had their hair cut really, really short. So Paul is saying that if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well be saying that she's a prostitute. That's what he's saying. So let's really get to the issue. Is this really about hats and hair? <laughs> I mean, is this about the woman having a hat and a man not? Is this about the woman having a covering and, and a man? Is, that really, is it really about hats and hair? No, I'm telling you it's not. It's about our hearts. When we come to worship Every single man in this room ought to come in understanding that he is coming in full submission to the Lord Jesus. And when women come into this room, they ought to come in here knowing that they're in full submission to their husbands. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Because if we don't do that, we don't stand a chance at honoring the Lord. Does that make sense? We have to... We have to honor and maintain the necessary direction that He has formed. That's how we will honor the Lord. So, I remember reading the story about the swimming coach, and, and I'm a some kind of a swimming coach. I help my daughter and the teams here during the summer, and I love doing that. I'm a stroke judge. You get get a lot of man, get a lot of awesome, just man pleasure out of just helping my daughter and those little girls learn to swim. It's awesome. So I kind of related to this story a little bit, but there was a swimming coach who was teaching a student to dive, and, and the student really wasn't having really success, and the student was worried about a lot of different things. And so the, the coach said to him, he said, listen, young man, if you just get your head right, the rest of your body is going to follow. Just get your head right and everything else is going to follow. Well, the student was all worried, so he took a little dive, and he came up out of the water, and, and he was like, hey, hey, were my legs straight? I mean, did my toes point? And, and the coach was like, listen, I told you. Don't worry about that stuff. Just get your head right, and everything else is going to be okay. Well, the student jumped in again, and it kind of did a belly flop, and he says, coach, I know that was bad. My arms were kind of flailing. A big..." Sp-. He said, listen, don't worry about that. Just get your head right, and everything else will follow. And I'm telling you that's exactly what Paul is saying. If we just get the head right, who's really directing the show? It's the Lord Jesus. If we get him right and how he set up authority and leadership even in the home, everything else will follow. So, husbands, how you doing leading spiritually? But are you letting your wives take that on because you won't do it? You're called to lead. And I'm going to be honest and I'm going to be loving. But if you're not leading and you're here in this service, you're already dishonoring the Lord. That's what Paul is saying. Well, that's, that's tough, isn't it? Women, are you in full submission to your husband? Because if you're not, Paul is already telling you that you're already dishonoring the Lord. This is an attitude of the heart to get the head right. We have to maintain the necessary direction that God has formed to honor Him and worship. Secondly, Paul says this, We honor God in worship by maintaining the needed dependence He has formed. The needed dependence He has formed. Look there in verse 7. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Now listen, that covering, you got to follow me here, church, because I'm trying to teach you some things, that they're difficult, so we're building something here. (laughs) The covering may have been a cultural symbol of submission. But the principle of male leadership and headship is never a matter of cultural distinction. It has been settled by creation itself. And it should never be compromised. Because that's how God created us. A man shouldn't have his head covered since the Bible says he is the glory of God. A covered head is the sign of submission. Man was created in the moral and mental and spiritual image of God. He's created with intellect, will, emotion, knowledge, and holiness. Man is also created to be the ruler of God's creation. God has given man dominion over the earth. And in that sense, he's created to be the glory of God. He reflects God and that God is the ruler and he's given man that rulership here. So God gave man dominion over the world and to care for it according to his divine plan. And Paul points out that man was the only one created from the dust of the ground. Eve was created from Adam. Thus man was given dominion and authority over everything, including his wife. Thus the man is not supposed to wear a symbol of submission. So then we have to ask the question, because it, it begs to be asked, then why do Jewish men cover their head when they pray? I mean, how could Paul say something to the Jewish people, and when you go into a Jewish synagogue or you get around Jewish people, they still wear that little yarmulke? Why, why do they do that? Because they have misinterpreted Scripture and made a man-made tradition out of something that God never wanted to have happened. That's why he begins the letter saying, you've carried on my traditions, but here's something you may have gotten wrong. So back in Exodus chapter 34 verses 33 through 35, the Bible says these words, when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel, what he had been commanded, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin on Moses' face shone. So Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went in to speak with him. So the Jewish rabbis taught that Jewish men should cover their heads when they prayed because Moses' face, Moses veiled his face in the presence of God's glory. So when you're praying or prophesying, just like Moses did in the presence of God, you ought to also put something on your head. But see, here's where they missed it, and you could catch it too. That was in the people's presence. It wasn't in the presence of God that Moses wore the veil. When Moses came out of the presence of God, he had to put the veil on in front of the people not before God. 2 Corinthians 3.13 says it this way, and are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. You see, Moses didn't want them to see the glory of God fading from his face. And this, my friends, turned into a human tradition, not a very divine one. And interestingly, Paul starts out the conversation about traditions and he wants to make sure that they understand This tradition of wearing something over your head for men when you're doing this, praying and prophesying, isn't a biblical tradition. It's a man-made tradition, and we need to get rid of it. Paul then says that a woman is the glory of man. Woman was made to manifest man's authority, and man was made to manifest God's authority. Man is both the image and glory of God, but woman is only image of God and not the image of man and only the glory of man and not the glory of God. The point in really this is to show this, that man shows how magnificent a creature God can make from himself and a woman shows how magnificent a creature God can make from man. Again, please hear me. As far as grace and sanctification, women are just like Jesus as much as any man. This is not about inferiority. This is not about any of that kind of stuff. Listen to me. This is simply about roles and function in life. Verse 8a For man does not originate from woman. Well, that's interesting. Paul doesn't ground this concept in culture, which so easily be dismissed because our culture is not like that. So today we hear this all the time. Well, Paul said that women shouldn't be pastors because it's just the cultural argument. Today the cultures changed, so therefore women can be pastors. Well, that's not what Paul says. Paul doesn't go culture. Paul goes back to creation to ground his theological argument, so that it applies to all cultures. Paul says... Let's go back to creation and find out how it happened there. So he goes back to Genesis 2.18. Genesis 2.18 says, The Lord God said it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. You see, God observed all of creation and called everything good, yet there was one thing that was not good, and that was that man was alone. So God had showed man every other creature that wasn't like him and there was no other creature that corresponded to him. So God said he would make a helper suitable to him. a me. You know this. God caused a deep sleep to come on Adam and he took a rib from Adam's side and from it he created woman. And when Adam awoke, there was something like himself, something incredibly corresponded to him with some very noticeable improvements. And he cried out, and he said, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And the woman was made from man and for man because man needed something. The man was going to have to be dependent on the woman, and the woman was going to have to be dependent on the man. So again, this is not about superiority. Verse 9a, he says, there he says, for indeed man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. And then back in verse 8 he says, but woman was created from man. You see, Adam didn't come from Eve, but Eve came from Adam. Adam wasn't created from Eve. Eve was created from, for Adam. And that again is the, the, the nature of leadership and headship and authority and the function in our roles. But then he says, "For indeed, man was not created for woman's sake, but the woman for man's sake. Think about this. This is a universal, it's an unchangeable, it's not a comfortable principle that a woman should be in subordination to and submissiveness to her husband and to church leadership. That's just what the Bible says. I'm not trying to be controversial. Symbol here, when it says she ought to have this symbol on her head, this covering, it refers to leadership. It means authority. The covered head was the woman's authority or right to pray and the right to prophesy because she did it in submissiveness to her husband. She's to do that, Paul says, which I think is interesting. Verse 10, therefore the woman ought to have this authority, this symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now now that is, what what are you saying there, Paul? Well, angels are the messengers and ministers of God who have total obedience to God. They have great power, but it is submissive power. Satan and the others were thrown out because of unsubmissiveness and a rejection of authority and a failure to follow the direction of God. So the angels here, they protect God's church. And they're here watching what happens in our church. So the woman is not to do this in a way as to to offend the most submissive of all of God's creatures. So when a woman acts in unsubmissiveness to her husband or to, to leadership, she will even offend the angels because they're the most submissive of all of God's creatures. Verse 11 and verse 12. However, in the Lord, this is where he's headed. Neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. I love that. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. All this headship stuff is true and necessary, but you must remember and I must remember that we were created not to be above or below or anything. We were created to need each other. We need each other. Men need women and women need men. Can I get an amen? If you were married and you didn't say amen, you better say, oh, me. Because you're going to hear it when you get home. (laughs) This is countercultural right now, isn't it? Right now, in the women's feminist movement that's all over your television and everywhere, basically women are saying, we don't need men. And Paul couldn't have been more relevant, could he? Men and women need each other and are both needed in the church. We can't do this without each other. It's true, woman was made for man, but Paul also says, yeah, that was with the first one. But then every man that's ever come has been born of a woman, so let's not forget that. We need each other. And what he's saying is we've all come from God, so therefore we all have equal standing before God, and we need each other. So we have to maintain this necessary direction founded by God, but we also need to maintain dependence that's been formed by God. He made us to depend on each other. Dale and Joyce Hutchison are members of our church, and and they're kind of homebound right now because of of failing health. And and if you guys are listening to us today by way of internet, man, I want to tell you guys, you make my heart happy, and we miss you, and we love you. But there are a couple in our church. They're precious as the day is long. But Dale, he's the man man in in the, the relationship. Dale lost his voice several years ago. And Joyce is losing her vision. So they would always meet me and they would always say, and she would, she would do the talking, of course, and she would say, well, he's, he's, he's my eyes and I'm his mouth. And everywhere they went, she helped him see and he spo- she spoke. It was amazing how dependent they were on each other. Everywhere they went, they were so dependent. You wouldn't see them apart from each other because they needed each other so very much. And I couldn't think of a better illustration to tell you that that's the way we need each other, men and women in this church. We need each other. And the only way we're going to bring God honor in this worship service is if we actually act like we need each other. Thirdly, and very quickly, the Bible says this, we honor God in worship by maintaining the natural differences He has fixed. The natural differences he has fixed. Look in verse 13. Paul says, hey man, just judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Paul, Paul says, hey, just think about this for a moment, folks. He said, listen, you don't even have to take my word for this. Even nature itself is going to speak on this one. The Bible says that for a woman to be uncovered is shameful in the same way that it would be for a man to wear long hair. So let me just go ahead and help you right here. (laughs) Some of you may have come from a school or a church where the length of your hair was a problem, especially if you're a man. And I just want to help you today. This is not about the length of your hair. If this was about inches and centimeters, God would have told us. I mean, God told Noah how big to build the ark. God told Moses how big to make the tabernacle and gave him inches and centimeters to help him. If this was about the length of hair, God would have said, oh, yeah, the man's hair can be longer than 12 inches. The woman's hair needs to be three foot four. That's not what God did. So that's not what he's talking about. This right here is the issue of intentionally blurring distinctions between men and women in life and in worship. If she is uncovered, she looks like a man. If he is covered, he looks like a woman. And God doesn't want men looking like women and women looking like men. You want to talk about a word to our culture today. Let me help you with something on the issue of transgenderism, of non-binary, of pronouns such as they or them, such as cross-gesturing, or the, the, the blasphemous practice of having drag queens in libraries. Paul deals with it right here. It's amazing how relevant the Bible is. Make no mistake about it. The Bible says it is shameful, disgraceful, and even a crime against nature for anybody to try to blur the lines of distinction between men and women. For women to look like men or for men to look like women. Paul says it dishonors God and it's a crime against nature. The Bible's already spoken about this in Deuteronomy 22, five, and they should have owned this. The Bible says, A woman shall not wear man's clothing, nor a man shall put on a woman's clothing. Watch these words. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. That's pretty clear. Is this in the Bible because God's concerned about fashion? I mean, is God just really worried about whether you have men's jeans and you're a woman or or can I wear a woman's shirt even though it looks like a man's shirt? I mean, is this really about fashion? Not about that, but if you're a legalist, you will find it there. God simply doesn't want us to lose, to disguise, or to change our maleness or our femaleness. He has created us male and female, and He wants it to stay that way. Listen to me. I mean this from the bottom of my heart today. If you were a man, you have an XY chromosome. And you are going to die a man with an XY chromosome no matter what surgery you have, no matter what drugs you take, no matter what therapy you try to go through. You were created a male and you would die a male. So don't try to change that. If you are a female, you have two exes. You cannot have an additional body part put on you. You can't take away body parts. You can't change the fact that you have been created female. Here's what you and I can do. The only thing we can do is just disguise what's already there. So let me tell you really where Paul is saying. Paul is saying he doesn't want us to blur or try to a change because we're avoiding the real issue. The real issue that our culture is struggling with, with this subject, is brokenness. And so we have to approach this with a lot of love and redemption. And I want you to know this, that if you are struggling, I want you to know that you are loved and valuable in your struggle. But I cannot just sugarcoat it and tell you that that I support you along the way. I can't tell you that. I have to tell you the truth of God's word. You're headed down a path that's going to dishonor you and destroy you eventually. But you are loved and you're valuable in the process. So please listen carefully. Please hear me. God has something better than you trying to accommodate your brokenness through trying to disguise it through gender surgeries. He offers you a transformation that is better than anything you can do, surgeons can do, or any medicine can do. It's called redemption and healing through Jesus Christ. You see, a couple of years ago, I was working up in Round Rock and I hurt my foot. It was really more like my Achilles heel. And, and for, for a couple of days, man, I couldn't do anything. I really, I had almost dragged my foot behind me. It hurt so bad. And so, man, I tried to get all kinds of wraps and I tried wearing a boot and I tried elevating it, nicing it. I tried to go to the doctor and get some therapy on that bad boy and it just wouldn't help me. It did nothing I could do to accommodate my foot, to, to do anything to help it, was working. So one day, I'm at the the job, and my friend John is there, and John is just this deep man of prayer, and he sees me walking. He sees me trying to do everything I can to get my foot better, and he says, hey, Steve, do you mind, man, if I just would anoint you with some oil and just pray over you that God would heal your your foot? (laughs) Dude, I'll take anything at this point. John got down on his knee, took that anointing oil, and put it on the back of my heel, and he said, Lord, in Jesus' name, would you heal Steve's foot? And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here, God healed my foot immediately. You and I can try to accommodate our pain, our brokenness, our hurt, we doing all kinds of different things that we try to do. Changing our names, changing our pronouns, changing our gender, changing our bodies. And no matter what you do, you're never going to heal what's really happening because what you really need is divine healing. You need divine healing. And that's what I want to offer to anybody in the room today. So Jeremy, would you come? You see, you and I, we honor God in worship when we come under the leadership that God has founded for us. We honor God in worship when we rely on each other as men and women. And we really honor God in worship when we appreciate the differences and maintain them between men and women. That's how we honor God. So is there some area of brokenness in your life this morning? Is there some hurt in your heart today? Do you feel the effects that sin has had upon you or maybe that somebody else has sinned against you? I want to let you know today that God offers you something better. He offers you healing, transformation, and restoration. So I wonder if you'd stand with me as I pray. And then we'll sing and you come as the Lord may lead. Father, I pray today that if there's any man or woman or boy or girl within the sound of my voice that needs the Lord Jesus, that today you are through the power of your Holy Spirit would convict them of sin and righteousness and the coming judgment as you said you would and open their eyes to see that though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That today they would understand that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son; that whoever would believe in Him would not perish in their sin, but have everlasting life through Jesus, the resurrected Lord. Oh God, today would You minister? I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You come as we sing, like a river. Gl-